I'm going to tell you a quote, a real quote from my nan. I don't read books. The only thing I read is the Daily Mail every day. And then I started asking her what her favourite Daily Mail was, as if it was just yeah. a series of... Like a comic book. Yeah. 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 What, the you don't get the that with newspapers, age. do you? You don't get, like, first editions, like, limited, never touched. <laughs> Foil cover. Yeah, I mean, even, like, you don't even get it for, like, the one that covered Princess Diana's death. And I think <laughs> yeah. if there was ever, like, a, sh- a paper, yeah. you'd get laminated. <laughs> a shiny Princess Dies Death Day Daily Express. You know, people talking about print media dying but if one in every ten thousand was like shiny with alternate colors and had like a special like foil hologram on like page three we can't we're gonna have to delete that because that would save print media if you listen to this please don't tell any of your friends who work within publishing <laughs> that's the oh how do we get millennials to buy print media the average age of print media consumers like 700 well, we're going to take our cues from a little thing called Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to we're going to have a really horrible cover about asylum seekers, but it's going to be holographic. Yeah. Every now and again we'll go like full fash, but they'll be like real rare. People will dispute whether they even exist. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. I'm Jack Evans. And I'm Sean Morley. Uh, This episode is called Boomer Radicalisation Pipeline, and that's where we are right now. (sighs) What was that? Oh, it was a laminated 1998 limited edition of Men and Motors. Good eyes, good eyes. Dark in here as well. By Boomer Radicalisation Pipeline, we mean the process by which two-thirds of people aged over 50 have come to believe that the inflated equity in their semi-detached house is a result of their hard graft that anyone under the age of 45 is weak-willed and work-shy. And it's a healthy serving of the Battle of Normandy, so they'll stop whining about the housing market. Also, I'm scared of masks, my spouse, and doing socialism because someone told me it'll mess up the bin schedule. (laughs) Someone told me. I heard it in the 1998 limited edition of Men and Motors. (laughs) You heard it in a magazine? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want? If you've never had Men and Motors, it's like a novelty Hallmark yeah, card. It sings a song when you open the page. They had the tech for that in 98. It's heavily compressed, like when it says Sega at the beginning of Sonic the Hedgehog of Mega Drive cartridge. <laughs> we need to do we need to plug Patreon, but it feels like sickening. Mm. Would you like if you'd like to support us in some monetary way, uh-huh. like support us in a non-monetary way, please, goodwill in the DMs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you'd yeah. like to support us uh, using your hard-earned cash Mm -hmm. or well-swiped dosh Uh you can find us on patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party oh my god that was very that was very good do you feel do you feel bad or do you feel good i feel nothing (laughs) (laughs) roll the app (laughs) (laughs) have you got more conservative as you have aged
No. What? Absolutely 100% the other way. What do you mean the other way? Like by the time you're 40, you're going to be Lenin. Well, maybe. Yeah. Well, Lenin was Lenin when he was 40. Did Lenin yeah, get that his entire, yeah, when did Lenin come up with his pen name? I don't even know. But I mean, yeah, Len, like, it didn't work on everyone, did it? Otherwise, how would you have had Marx? Some people think Marx got less radical as he got older. They're wrong. But... Could have got slower. Yeah, he probably got slower, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like how much radicalism you can output per second. RPS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his his RPS was slower, but like the, the actual radicalism was huge. It was like eight k. Yeah, it was once it like loaded in the <laughs> radicalism. You're like, oh fuck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that you get more conservative as you get older remains everywhere in the boomer mindset because they're confident right-wing boomer mindset of like my beliefs are just inevitable you only don't think them because you have not yet found the truth like the idea that you get conservative as you get older what it's saying is you become more conservative as you gain more experience the implication is that socialism is just a symptom of naivety of like ignorance Mm. you don't understand the true grim hobbesian reality of the world and as you age you will get there Rather than saying you get more conservative, the richer you get. Mm. Like when you accumulate capital, you will want to defend that capital. I, I've seen people transform like instantaneously of being like mild social democracy, Corbynite mm. yeah. style yeah, 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 yeah. labour. But then you only need to like do the baby step onto the other side of the housing market yeah. to be like, oh, and now I'm not so sure. Now I've grown up. I've suddenly grown up 30 years in our year because I have a mortgage. <laughs> And also, I don't get that kind of, like, the, the Hobbesianism that underpins the idea that you'll look out for number one the yeah, moment yeah, you've got yeah. a little bit of university of life pumping through your veins. <laughs> like, the whole whole of society is, like, taking this Ayn Randian pill that, like, selfishness is good. And But what underpins that is that, like, human nature is fundamentally underpinned by absolute venal selfishness and the willingness to let other people die so that you can have a garage <laughs> but has there never been like has there never been like a cultural emotional shock you know hannah arendt talking about yeah, yeah, the yeah. banality of evil yeah. and like there were decades of people being like if that's true that is hugely culturally shocking that like the evilness that can allow the holocaust could exist in any of us that's chilling but there's this other thing of being like, yeah, no one cares about anyone else and will let anyone die. <laughs> there's never been this thing of being like, oh, that's sad. I've never seen it anywhere in culture where like, if that is true and we accept it, should we not like be sad or mourn that or even discuss it? The horrors of 2020, particularly hard, when, when there's been hardcore lockdown, should, it hasn't, but it should have put a wrecking ball through Thatcher's there's no such thing as society, there's only individuals and their families. Yeah. Because if you're just left with, as an individual or with your family, you go nuts. Yeah. If we were just ultra individualists, wouldn't we just enjoy that? Wouldn't we enjoy just being completely fucking alone? And do you know what? Yeah, why is everyone struggling with this? Yeah, right. We've been told like human nature is essentially yeah. selfish and everyone looks out for themselves. Yeah. And yet every now and again the Conservative Party, which has no like real ideology beyond power, yeah. but exist within this framework, basically like taking us slowly and baby steps towards the purge. <laughs> but when a, when an outbreak comes out, it's going, everyone has to fulfill their civic duty to keep other people safe. And obviously loads of people don't do that because no. they've been told that those kind of mechanisms and social service don't exist and we don't have no social duty to each other <laughs> but like the conservative party is forced to make this lip service to like a set of virtues yeah that they have destroyed <laughs> yeah uh, one thing i think coronavirus 
crisis has already proved is that there really is such a thing as society. Conservative boomerism, one of the things that's interesting about it, like you're saying, it has this like hyper-individualism, but the circumstances in which they grew up, because you can't understand boomers without talking about the boom, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that Ian? It's not funny. I've worked hard all my life. It was hard work dividing that tiny terrace into a five bed. We never had our phones when I were a lad. If I went to six, I'd need a carrier pigeon. (laughs) She always says it's faster to send a text, but I like listening through the voicemail instructions. I like waiting for the beep. I don't understand this Netflix ever to find out when things are on in the newspaper, but then schedule my life around it, like church in the 17th century. I know I'm retired, but I don't want them coming over here taking your jobs. I'm racist for you! The Boomer Radicalisation Pipeline empties out into a writhing ocean of pensioners, or almost pensioners, who, if you look at the opinion polls, seem to despise their own children and grandchildren and their yet-to-be-born children and grandchildren and their children. And their yet-to-be-born children and grandchildren and their children. And their yet-to-be-born children and grandchildren The Woomers. In 2017 and 2019, two-thirds of boomers voted for the Conservative and Unionist Party. If only boomers could vote, the Tories would have had over 500 of the 650 MPs in the House of Commons. Millennials, in contrast, would have given Corbyn-era Labour the same supermajority. Half of boomers think it's a, quote, good idea, end quote, to build an asylum processing centre on a remote island 5,000 miles from the United Kingdom. In September 2020, polls showed the retired were the keenest on schools and unis reopening, as well as the most likely to agree that people should stop working from home and get back to the office. That's retired people. People who do not go to school or uni or offices. The same group also thought that young people, you know, the people that are in schools and unis and offices, were to blame for the predictable rise in coronavirus cases. Only 20% of boomers are worried about the impacts of climate change, which might explain why boomers produce the highest per capita CO2 emissions. And that's just a little taste of where these guys' heads are at. It does seem that before they finally die, boomers want to make sure the world they leave the rest of us is gripped by irreversible ecological collapse, extreme inequality and a cheeky bit of fascism. It'll be just like the 1930s, except the Arctic ice will somehow be on fire. If we're lucky, we'll even get another World War II, the war all boomers are convinced they personally fought in. We can call it World War II II, the second second world war. What is a boomer? Boomer's abbreviation of baby booms, because they're born in the baby boom between 1946 and 1964. There's technically two baby booms in the UK, but let's not get bogged down in that. The boomers' parents' generation, having suffered through not only capital T, the, capital W, war, and capital T, the, capital D, depression, before it, voted to establish the social safety net that is the lowercase w, welfare, lowercase s, state. This existed alongside a post-war economic boom. Two booms. Characterised by powerful high membership trade unions alongside full employment and jobs that were not only secure but comparatively well-paying. 
Millennials, on the other hand, are the first generation to be worse off than their parents since the, uh, the Napoleonic Wars. Let's just say this, the generation divide starts to look a lot more like a class divide. Having capital gives you a certain class interest. Maybe you start being concerned with keeping that capital, or even getting even more of it. We start to see that the boomer radicalization pipeline might be something more than the Daily Mail and Uncle Paul's WhatsApp group. That ain't no pipe. It's class interest. I reckon that if you took the same data I mentioned earlier about boomers voting Tory and cranking out pollution, and instead broke it down by wealth, you'd probably see an even starker version of the same pattern. And I mean wealth here, not that NRS social grade ABC1C2D marketing jargon. I don't buy into that at all. If two plumbers both undertake the same type of work, but one owns a house worth 200 grand and another rent, these people don't have the exact same class interest, but that's for another time. I started this episode by asking Sean a question by bringing up the idea that people get more conservative as they age. I think it's truer to say people become more conservative the more capital they have. And the easiest way to make someone defend capitalism is to give them capital. It's a more effective means of social control than all the reactionary newspapers you could imagine. And that's what we're up against. We tend to think of ourselves as up against this right-wing monopoly of news. It's like, that, that's the enemy. Thinking, oh, we can make Uncle Paul calm down if we just unsubscribe him from the racism factory. But what we're actually up against is naked class interest. And it's a bit harder to unsubscribe Uncle Paul from owning his bungalow. For me, the boom of radicalisation pipeline stretches back to the 1970s. Margaret Thatcher's first speech as leader to the Tory conference declared she would make Britain a property-owning democracy. Thatcher waged class war openly in the 1980s, especially against the miners. But that was just one front of the war. Property ownership was another, and she was just as successful there. Home ownership went from 9.7 million people to 12.8 million people under Thatcher, fueled by her mass privatisation of social housing under the banner of right to buy. Because of what she did, more and more people stopped seeing houses as homes and started seeing them as assets. Home ownership turns workers into little capitalists who will defend their asset. They feel rich because they can borrow against their asset. And of course, the big capitalists benefit too. These are the winnings of the class war. The constant supply of mortgage debt fed the parasitic financial system which Thatcher had deregulated and allowed to create money by issuing credit. With a growing money supply because of this deregulation and a finite number of houses because right to buy just sold off the social housing it didn't build new houses, prices went up a lot. If you ignore house prices, prices went up about 50% between Thatcher's election in 1979 and the 2008 financial crash. If you look at house prices, they went up about a thousand percent. It's like they were totally disconnected from the rest of the economy because their function in the economy changed. They're assets now. And I bring up the crash because you'd think, well, maybe if the global housing market crashes, that would have put an end to this, right? <laughs> in the decade since the 2008 financial crash, millennials' wealth dropped by 5%. But boomer wealth went up, not by 5%, but by 80%. The generation divide conceals a class divide because millions of boomers live in Thatcher's so-called property-owning democracy. Millennials don't. If you want your Uncle Paul to stop voting Tory, take away his house. Every time you go around, take one brick. I'll not notice. Uh, every now and then you could probably get away with two, but just be strategic. Best game of Jenga you'll ever play because 
Not only will his house eventually collapse, but so will British capitalism. Or he might, might go nuts day one when he sees you chipping away at his wall. <laughs> so yeah, it's worth a try. Did you know 20% of boomers have a second house they rent out? 20%? 20%, one in five. That's insane. But that's it, because we're talking about wealth, but like what wealth means in this context outside of being able to like get a job and have a decent yeah. salary yeah, yeah, it yeah. means housing it means property and i think with the way the property market then just inflated under you if you had property like the way to get rich when you're a boomer for most people was just to exist it was just to yeah, live yeah 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 it was just to exist but it was because they existed in post-war social you know european social democracy mm. set up by the atlee government and sustained by even the Conservatives, until Thatcher gets in, elected overwhelmingly by the boomers who benefited from all this stuff. Yeah. But they attribute it all to themselves. So even the house prices going up, they'll be like, it's just because I've made my kitchen so nice. Yeah, that's because I mowed the lawn. <laughs> if average annual pay had gone up the same amount, average annual pay would be £65,000 per year. <laughs> Wow. And I was looking into the economics of this. So, you know, things like, oh, you know, the classic thing of like, oh, millennials are just frivolous and buying avocado toast. Millennials are actually better with their money than boomers were at their age to the point of when they have money, millennials will save more than the equivalent boomer would at that age. And they will also save more cautiously so that you're more likely to go for like, a long-term saving thing like a like an ice or something rather than like stocks and shares which are more risky of course if you haven't got as much money you're not gonna splurge it on top of like having the most insecure work of any generation with like zero hours contracts self-employment or forced self-employment is through the roof so even if you got a windfall of any kind you just have to go that just goes in the bank yeah and then i feel you know the benefit of like winning a prize or getting a cash prize isn't that you get a good and you you play with it or anything yeah or that you buy like a luxury it goes in your bank account and the benefit of it is that you can just sigh a bit of relief and calm down (laughs) did you know that after 2010 for the first time ever pensioners on average now have more real income after housing costs than working age people. Wow. Now that that like rewires your brain because think of all the premises of like, oh, we've got to look after, obviously we have to look, like I want pensions living standards to be good. I'm not saying, I'm just pointing out that this is an interesting thing, right? We always come from the premise of, oh, make sure pensioners have got free travel, free TV license, free entrance to a museum because you've, you're a pensioner, but actually they have more disposable income. And also- they are still a huge consumer block. So boomers, when they were when they were teenagers, they were like the first, you know, the concept of teenager was a thing that emerged in the 50s and 60s. They were the first like big block of, you know, teen consumers and teenagers as a consuming block were the boomers, but they've carried that through their entire life. So they're still huge consumers now, which is why advertising is still geared towards them. It's also why, you know, Bob Dylan is still doing huge tours that, and it costs £60 for a ticket. Yeah, And, you know, I don't, like, there are two trends that I, I, I don't know, I don't have the stats for, yeah. but I feel like our generation, as a result of poverty, yeah. consumes less. But also, because, like, but I also mean it's not just about, like, 
how much money we have that we can consume. It's with what are our consumption, Habits. how much do we consume yeah. with what we have? Yeah, I think exactly. Because yeah, yeah. again, we're cautious. We're, we're, we're cautious and we're savers because we have to be. But on top of that, like, because advertising is all geared towards boomers, I don't know how many people have like felt completely alienated and like sort of become unglued from like TV. Yeah, exactly. Because all the programming decisions. I remember like when I was a teenager, I got this real sense of like, oh, TV isn't for me. I'm like mm. trapped between like adult programming and children's mm. programming and things that like adults attempting to market like teen TV stuff <laughs> sucks, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So there's sort of nothing for you. But then as I got older, I never, I never, I went to uni and I never went back into it. Whenever I watch it, I'm like, this is for my mom uh-huh. and my nan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is who the TV is for. And it never came back to my generation. Well, that's, and this is the interesting thing about newspapers, because if we're talking about boomer radicalization, the thing, you know, like my nan reads the Daily Mail every day. Mm-hmm. People think, oh, it's because of, of crazy Facebook groups. And it's like, no, it's literally just the main, it's the mainstream newspapers, the Daily Mail, the Sun, uh, the Daily Express, the Telegraph, the Times. Mm. And their average age of all these, the re- readerships of all these things is just peak boomer age, you know, 50 to, six, 50 to 60. If you, so if you go on a website, the ads are targeted because they have your cookies. So they're targeted at you, so you don't notice it as much. But if you buy a physical copy of any of these newspapers, all the adverts are for like a £30,000 SUV. Right. Like a full-page ad for a a Rolex watch that costs £3,000. The content in the newspaper is there to attract the audience for the the adverts. The news isn't the product. You, the reader, are the product that the advertisers are paying for exposure to. Yeah. So then it's, it's, it's just a huge feedback loop of news content, but also enter- a lot of entertainment content is produced for that boomer audience. It's an obvious thing to say that there's the boomer voter base is huge and that then determines politics. Mm-hmm. But the boomer consumer base is exa- has exactly the same effect. But instead of voting... Sure, and that determines the economy. It, well, it determines fucking everything. It determines culture because the economy yeah. then filters into the culture. So that's why Mock the Week is dog shit. Because it's a feedback yeah. loop. With an election, yes, obviously politics determines loads of shit. But in normal circumstances that's only happening every four or five years the consumers and the decision of what media we need to produce and who we need to market it to and how we need to market it and what we need to say what newspaper headlines we want to say that appeal to whose anxieties it's boomers the circumstances of our generation is so extreme that decline happened like it's basically just 2008 yeah. And then, like, a five-year period where everything changed and our futures were determined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that means that people who, like, lived outside of that, uh, Zoomers, Mm. we don't quite, like... The identity of what a Zoomer Mm. is is still sort of being forged, Mm. I think, Mm. and we've not seen the fallout. The fallout of a generation that knew this was coming and saw it from a while off and went, I'm not going to have any hopes and dreams (laughs) from the beginning whereas we had we had like the hopes and dreams of the 90s handed to us where it's like you can do whatever you want and then 2008 happened it went um quick revision (laughs) quick revision on your hopes and dreams there um 
So, like, we're quite uniquely situated there, alienated from the older and younger generations by, like, basically the Lehman Brothers. I hear boomers. Why did millennials all get degrees in, you know, what they think are Mickey Mouse subjects? Although how something like media studies is a Mickey Mouse subject when the very issues we're discussing of, like, boomers tend not to have... uh, critical Good thinking critical. skills i mean we're talking we're talking about boomers talking about media studies like it's um, a mickey mouse useless uh-huh, degree uh-huh. but like at the same time alan sugar tweeted out a picture of a tiger <laughs> because he believed that russia was releasing tigers <laughs> in moscow to enforce the lockdown i think that's true sean's sean's joking about this but that happened that's real um <laughs> But the, who who pushed us all into education and who said that education was going to solve everything? Boomers. Boomers understood, oh, well, you know, people who get degrees, and in the 60s and 70s, that is only like 10% of the population, but they make even more money. And it doesn't matter what degree they get because a lot of these people get degrees and they just get a history degree. And for some reason that qualifies them to run a bank or something and we get paid 100 grand a year or whatever. So there was a truth to why boomers thought, oh yeah, if you get a degree, that's like the ticket to a really good life. And and obviously so many more people went to uni, which is, you know, good. I think people should have access to education. I actually think education should be a lifelong thing, but and not just a commodity to improve improve your employability. But that's a that's a whole other episode of this pod. That thing of like, oh, you know, you should have done something else. You've got a Mickey Mouse degree is like a a symptom of the wider thing of blaming millennials for a giant systematic fucked economy. It's like you drop a mouse into a maze and then blame it for getting lost. Yeah. You, you made the maze. Yeah, you made the maze. <laughs> it's your maze. Yeah, exactly. You made the maze. And boomers did make the maze. Like they voted they voted overwhelmingly for Thatcher. 18 to 24 year olds in 1983, 42% voted for Thatcher. 25 uh-huh. to the age group 25 to 34 year olds, 40% voted for Thatcher. Very low 30s for Labour. People talk about boomer radicalization of like oh the boomers getting radicalized on facebook or boomers are getting driven nuts by the daily mail these people were thatcherite when they were 20 and they're just the same people i know people whose dads like couldn't understand why their kids like couldn't get a job yeah yeah yeah. like i found out i found out from their children like these dads like scabbed in the 80s on the unions yeah so that all the jobs left the city and then are saying to their kids, why don't you just get a job? You manually <laughs> assisted in all the jobs leaving this area. You can't connect these dots. How the hell do you fight the global descent into fascism? Like, I don't feel like I've got the skills to even de-radicalise my own, my nan. So, like, where the fuck do you go from that? When we're talking about, like, grandparents... yeah. I've always put them in a category of like wasted effort <laughs> yeah. because they are, it's like, I remember when I was a teenager and like all I cared about was music mm-hmm. and I had a very keen awareness with like, you can't talk to people about music that is too far away from the music they listen to. Mm. You need to like softly, softly if you can, <laughs> yeah. or just find people that are adjacent yeah. to your own tastes. And I find that that those soft skills translate perfectly to politics <laughs> You can find people that are a little bit like your ideology and bring them a little bit. But if people are miles of the way over there in like avant-garde noise music or like, (laughs) I don't know, bubblegum pop, I'm like, you're lost to me. You're a lost soul. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, this is what I've been thinking about a lot recently because 
I don't know, as someone who's like passively and morbidly observed a lot of right wing media mm. from like the soft right to the mega right, yeah, yeah. just to like try and unpick it all. This idea, I don't know if there ever was a golden age where someone on the left and someone on the right could like sit down and talk about the issues and if not like fully convert one to the other, at least come to a healthy mutual understanding. Mm. But at the moment that, because we're in the middle of the culture wars, (laughs) it's so so impossible because everything's so twinged with like suspicion and dislike, essentially. Uh, That I don't think it... I have seen lots of interesting ways that people in Europe and America have, like, learned door-stopping techniques, which really de-emphasises, like, facts and figures and go straight for, like, emotional human interest stories. But I think more than that, so much of people who are, like, old and on the right, Mm. they are at the behest of, like, received opinion. Mm. Right, they're the the behest of opinions that have gone into their head from outside, and then when they articulate, they use the same words and phrases that they've heard. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, if you can detach, if you can detach them from that, so there's a documentary I watched called "The Brainwashing of My Dad" because I'd gotten really into this um, loop of reading on Twitter anecdotes of people mm. who de-radicalized their grandparents not by sitting down and talking to them because they couldn't get that to work. They helped them with a tech problem on their computer that they didn't understand and then just unsubscribed them from a bunch of things on their emails and their Facebook. <laughs> and then suddenly, genuinely, suddenly, yeah. they not only like started dropping beliefs that they had, but like they calmed down yeah, 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 yeah. and seemed happier and actually started like reconnecting with their like spouse. So there was a documentary I watched, which was like someone linked to it because someone said someone's made a documentary about this phenomenon. And it's about someone's dad in America who was like center left Democrat, mm-hmm. center left in American discourse. Yeah, I've, you know? I've seen this. It has like video Just, footage of him. Oh, my dad used to like kind of apolitical, but he liked JFK. Yeah, right. But then he gets into the like JFK. Uh, Rush Limbaugh and Fox News. And it's like a story yeah. that's like again and again. And it kind of hooks you in because it's like so sensationalist. And like, I don't know. I think people can get like hooked on anger. Anger can be really fun I think, for some people I think in some way. There's definitely a truth to that. And the that. documentary ends because his radio breaks. Yeah. He just breaks his radio and can't fix it. And then after a little while, just goes, oh, forget it. And then votes for Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Which, considering where he was. Yeah, yeah, that's before, a huge That's, that's, like that's a change. leap. You, you need to unplug people rather than convince people. It, it, it needs to be both things. It needs to be uh, hopefully weaning people off stuff that is just annihilating their brains and making, you know, in many ways, the most privileged generation just angry about everything. Like you said, oh, it calms them down. The most angry people I've encountered are people who are, I'm like, why the fuck, why are you so angry? The wise owl says that age makes you more right wing, but the owl, sadly, is a clod. Really, it's owning capital that makes you more right-wing. It just happens we live in a country where those two qualities run parallel, like two grizzled greyhounds locked in a desperate battle to savage a wet rag. But the class interests of property owners aren't the only ingredient of the political worldview of the class generation layer cake that is the British boomer. Increasingly, they are motivated by distorted class anxieties as our red-faced parents are sucked into a media industry lurching ever rightwards. 
Class interests alone can't explain why Uncle Paul flipped the kitchen table over at the mere suggestion that black lives matter. Class interests alone can't explain how Nan thinks primary school teachers are teaching key stage one students cultural Marxism. Somehow your dad's desire for a tidy porch has been transmogrified into a desire to beam racism onto the cliffs of Dover. The average age of a Telegraph reader is 61. Around half of Daily Mail readers are over 65. These papers are observably an extension of the Conservative Party. Boris Johnson worked for the Telegraph. Michael Gove's wife, Sarah Vine, currently writes for the Daily Mail. And while I was writing this script even, a report has just leaked showing that jobs as head of Ofcon and BBC were offered to ex-editor of the Daily Mail, Paul Dacre, and ex-editor of the Telegraph, Charles Moore. And increasingly, there's a similar overlap at the BBC. As of September 1st, 2020, former Conservative candidate Tim Davey became Director General of the network. And mere weeks after the BBC Business and Economics Unit put out a video depicting Chancellor Rishi Sunak as Superman for spearheading the same eat-out, help-out scheme that helped cause the second wave, a senior member of that department has just got a job working for the government as Head of Public Spending Communications for HM Treasury. These platforms hook their target audience via corroboration and justification of property fetishism. Just look at the Daily Mail website. They have a money and a business section, but they list property under their main section, right next to latest headlines and world news. But the real social functions of these platforms is to peddle deference towards authority of the ruling class by linking it to a feverish distaste of any threat to that ruling class ideology whether it be by overt xenophobia or my social political concerns about nationalised sausages and broadband communism. Do you know who coined that phrase? Broadband communism? On the morning of November 15, 2019, after Labour have just announced their free gigabyte broadband policy, it was written by British Telecom's executive Neil McRae. But by that afternoon, the phrase reappeared on the BBC, where it was referred to as broadband communism and politics lying, while at the same time, Boris Johnson was being interviewed on BBC Radio, where he also called it broadband communism. Why is it that even the mildest kind of social democratic reforms are treated with such overbearing hostility and scrutiny, whereas climate change denialism and racist political organisations are given platforms and a fair hearing in the name of balance? That this is done just to bolster support for the current ruling class is writ large by less subtle publications such as The Express, who've both put out two Oh, a cool and neat idea style articles about raising the minimum wage and four-day work weeks less than a year after blasting them to pieces when it came from the Labour Party. This shifting mirage of left-bashing from whatever rhetorical position is necessary that day forces these platforms not to hook their audience on any kind of ideological or intellectual stance, but on a sickly black gloop of contradictory reactionary paranoia. You get a sector of the population hopped upon. I think the people in this country have had enough of experts. Michael Gove, 2016. A wild mistrust of an undefinable elite and leave them to their own devices. It's wildly naive to think you can keep these people under your careful control. Have you not seen Jurassic Park? See the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. That's where it spills out into the WhatsApp groups. That's where it spills out into conspiracy theories. That's where it spills out into your uncle's table flipping. The unstoppable screeds of pub loudmouths and viral public transport races. That's where it spills out into demonstrations to intimidate the public. Protesters who believe any pandemic restrictions are a conspiracy. I've seen people calling Boris Johnson a communist. 
The reactionaries are reacting to the reactionaries, a chunk of the population who have been manually outfitted with the senile opposition defiance disorder. You can't get them to stay indoors during a pandemic. They will sneak out and throw Lucozade over themselves and say it was Antifa. The reactionary populism that's on the rise in this world is not coming from the Ruskies or the dark web. It's written in bold type on the front of our mainstream news sources. When science, investigative journalism, and any contradictory information is rejected outright and conspiratorial thinking is embraced, a WhatsApp message saying that Owen Jones is working with the new IRA to spread Sharia law will feel as plausible as anything else. So why not get as mad as hell about it? I've already had the coronavirus. There was no problem. I merely entered my mind palace, slowed my heart rate to nearly nothing, centered my chakras, conquered my fears, and banished it from my mortal shell, leaving me with little more to worry about than potential permanent heart and lung damage. I've sacrificed my career and narrowed my entire life to three locations. Flat, shock, pond. To safeguard the lives of a generation that believe masks are Stalinism, Corona is caused by 5G. Buy to let landlordism is a right, and you don't deserve a secure place to live if you've ever licked an avocado. I'm like, why the fuck? Why are you so angry? Work I've done with people who are in fucking bad poverty are. Mm. It, they're never angry. They're never fucking angry. They're like they're, they're never no, angry. The angriest person is someone. I mean, I sort of don't want to bring it up, but the, I, the 2019 election, the worst door I knocked on, where a guy slammed the door in my face, uh, had two Teslas on his drive. Yeah, they're furious. Like, yeah, he's just like fucking absolutely fuming, angry. It's the two things of taking away the bad shit and but also providing something good. And I think it's the second one that's so hard. But they're both really, you know, like how how do I stop my nan getting the Daily Mail? Other than, you know, may, maybe if Extinction Rebellion can every fucking day block all the newspaper distribution systems, that would be very good. Yeah. But so many people are now resigned. I'm going to say it. To just thinking, well... They'll, they'll all die eventually. And I'm not saying, like, I don't want, I don't want to wish death upon my fucking parents. Like... You don't have to wish death upon them. You just got to hunker down well, until... Well, this is the thing. It's like, know, oh, hunker down. hunker down until their death is 25 not years, they'll be gone. They'll rinse out the last of the NHS being free. Middle-class millennials who have middle-class boomer parents will inherit all their fucking wealth and it will just become, instead of a generational divide, it will go back to being just of crystal clear class war within millennials. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, so that's my point with that. I'm like, oh, we'll wait for them to die. But my original point I said way back at the start of this is the thing that makes you more conservative isn't experience of life. It's accumulating capital. Yeah, okay. They probably had more economic hardship than their middle-class parents, slightly. But then they're going to inherit it all. And they'll go Tory as fuck. And the, the, the mm. generation thing, which is like, it's weird because class and generation have always been mapped onto each other with the boomer millennial divide. You know, people are like, the millennial boomer thing's a distraction because the real divide's a class divide and it's, and it's material. Sorry, do you not think the divide between boomers and millennials is material? But that would just, it will just transfer to millennials. Mm. I, even that, which is like the most resigned thing of going, uh, we'll never be able to de-radicalize them. We'll never be able to build 
a radical media because the only the only group with the resources to build an actual radical media would be the trade union movement and they are not interested in that at all and are trying to recruit members by offering like discount life insurance deals it, like that's not going to happen so oh we'll just wait for them to die even that even that i don't think is a solution which is why it's so depressing well it's about because like if you made more radical media it it would be at the moment, it would be like a drop in the ocean because almost everything else yeah. is right wing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. you need to find some way of unplugging them because at the moment, because the generational divide is the class divide, mm-hmm. is the wealth divide, yeah. is, is the is the culture. <laughs> families are like falling apart because of this stuff. Oh yeah, like people are not getting on with their children. And children are not getting on with their parents just because the parents are like, I condemn you to this rather than being like, that's life. Yeah. It's so like even what you think was the normal kind of way in which people have access to politics, which is not their Mm. own, which is other Other people people in their life. Other people, yeah. That anger. You can only need to like throw a stone in in terms of like American media and you'll Mm. find someone screaming like spittle on the mic. But we've got that now. Yeah, talk radio. Talk radio. LBC. It is everywhere. And this is the thing. I'm not blaming individual boomers. It's structural things. Structural things have created this divide between millennials and boomers that isn't individual boomers' choice. They're just... Like if you were told every day that... Brexit's going to be easy. It's going to make Britain great again. Woke liberalism's destroying the country. Jeremy Corbyn loves the IRA. If you were told these things yeah, again and again it. and again and again, like that's not your fault. If, if that's all the media you consume. Yeah, and that's not like a moral or intellectual deficiency. If any of us grew up in a world where at least five times a day someone said soil tastes nice, <laughs> how long do you think you would hold out before you tried yeah, to eat Before you some picked soil? up a trowel any, and got in that would. bucket like Baskin Robbins, worms between your teeth. Oh, I, I wouldn't. I, I just I just try. I, I wouldn't need a whole bucket of it to come to my own conclusions, but I would try it. <laughs> but I would, I would just like snort a single line. No, I, 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 I would be so susceptible to indoctrination that i would just trust that it was great and order an xxl bucket of dirt yeah i'd probably heat some up on a little teaspoon just inject it straight in (laughs) (laughs) so sorry you've seen propaganda that it tastes nice and then you're you've gone i better inject that younger generation baby i gotta one-up them (laughs) getting really antsy that i might have a bit of gravel in my (laughs) might not be able to get through one of my heart's valves Uh, we need to get the boomers off the mud. <laughs> we need to get the boomers off the, off the, mud. the mud. That's the placard sorted. Yeah, a, sort of a guardian list, 25 placards that we didn't understand at the march. <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. We are genuinely grateful to everyone who supports the show on Patreon or by leaving a five-star rating review on iTunes to help others find us or by simply sharing episodes on social media. Thank you, all of you. We really do appreciate it. Hope you're doing okay. I am going to pump Ella's new theme tune back up. Bye.